0: Overdrive.
1: Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program about the wonderful world of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories with David Campbell, including car companies withdraw ads from the Alan Jones program. We hear from Rob Fraser who went to the 50th anniversary of the Nissan Z cars and we have the first instalment of an interview we had with David Berthon talking about his lovely beautiful 1913 Rolls Royce. We have some motoring minutes and Brian Smith joins us again for some quirky news. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Look for the title Overdrive, Cars, Transport and Culture. Or you might like to go to our Facebook page, Overdrive City. So let's begin this program with the news.
2: Volkswagen, Kia and Hyundai have withdrawn their advertising from the Alan Jones radio program on 2GB after the announcer made derogatory comments about the New Zealand Prime Minister, Jacinta Ardern. The Korean companies are not making a public statement on the issue, but Volkswagen has said the Volkswagen brand has been mentioned during Mr Jones' 2GB weekday morning show as part of our brand association with the Australian Traffic Network. Volkswagen on Monday cancelled advertising that aired on 2GB, we do not envisage re-engaging. Jones has been widely criticised for his inflammatory comments that appeared threatening and belittling to the New Zealand Prime Minister for making comments about climate change. Other companies have also withdrawn their advertising. Koala Mattress did make a comment on Twitter which said in part, Koala has cut ties with Alan Jones, we're a significant buyer in the medium, and it's something we should have done earlier. Climate change is real, violence against women starts with words, and the bloke has had too many chances. The heads of General Motors, Ford, and dozens of other leaders of some of the world's largest companies are abandoning the long-held view that shareholders' interests should come first. The head of the U.S. Business Roundtable said that the purpose of a corporation is to serve all of its constituents including employees, customers, investors and the society at large. While each of our individual companies serves its own corporate purpose, we share a fundamental commitment to all our stakeholders. A shift in corporate priorities comes as widening income inequality and the rising cost of items including health care and higher education have led some politicians and others to question where the fundamental premise of American capitalism lies. Fiat Chrysler Automobiles is not a member of the organisation and was not invited to sign the statement, said a company spokeswoman, but added that the company does hold similar values. Bugatti is back at Pebble Beach with yet another high-priced, high-horsepower hypercar, the Cento Dieci. In Italian, that translates to 110. The car is not only celebrating the 110 years since the company's founding, but it's also paying homage to its iconic 90s supercar, the EB 110, which unsurprisingly was built for Ettore Bugatti's 110th birthday in 1991. Bugatti is limiting production of the vehicle to just 10 with a starting price of around 17 million Australian dollars. However, even if you have enough spare cash to cover the eye-watering price tag, you are too late. Bugatti has already sold all 10 examples before they are actually revealed to the public. The Cento Dieci features a thumping 8-litre 16-cylinder petrol engine with four turbochargers, making 1,176 kilowatts and 1,600 newton-metres of torque. The supercar can sprint to 100 kilometres per hour from a standstill, in a blink of an eye at just 2.4 seconds and it can hit 300 km per hour in just 13 seconds. Micro mobility firm Get Charged has unveiled a charging and docking station for electric scooters in New York City. However significant pitfalls remain with the dockless model such as cluttered streets and sidewalks and the risk of fire when charging multiple scooters in residential buildings. The Get Charged model provides vital infrastructure for riders and rideshare operators by offering a convenient place to charge and store e-vehicles, helping protect the integrity of city streets and keeping pedestrians and residents safe. A spokesman for the New York City Council said the pilot will obtain feedback from riders and gain an understanding on the impact of the stations on surrounding communities. It will be interesting to see what benefits micro-mobility brings to the city. To promote a 1950s TV show, Amazon Studio surprised LA with a day of throwback bargains. As part of its Emmy campaign for a period drama, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, the production arm of the e-commerce giant subsidised 1950s prices at classic Hollywood standbys, including 99-cent pastrami sandwiches and 45-cent cheeseburgers. But the promotion that got the most attention was a 30 cents a gallon petrol price at a Santa Monica Chevron service station. Drivers immediately descended on the cheap fuel once the promotion began, creating a huge traffic jam. By late morning, the Santa Monica Police Department had to step into direct traffic and by early afternoon, congestion became so severe that police decided to shut down the deal, disappointing many queuing motorists. Reimbursing businesses for these steep discounts required deep pockets of Amazon, a multi billion dollar company that has faced much criticism for the wages and conditions it offers workers in its fulfillment centers. One comedian raised the question as to why Amazon didn't actually pay its workers 1950 wages on the day, and that would have been about a dollar an hour. And that has been the news.
0: Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia.
3: Some cars develop a cult following and a reputation often larger than life. The Nissan
1: R32 GTR is such a car. Winning Bathurst a few times certainly helped develop that reputation, but what happens when you turn 50? That's your car, not you.
3: Rob Fraser
4: went along to the launch of the 50th anniversary GTR model. Usually when we turn 50, things start to change dramatically. We put on weight, we become a little sluggish, and we start to slow down, showing our age. Not so the Nissan GTR 50th anniversary model. Here is a supercar with the Nissan badge on it, with a 50-year pedigree that many manufacturers would last after, and levels of technology that are simply mind-boggling. Yes, it is a little larger than its earlier self, but it is faster, smarter, and more enjoyable than anything before it, and sits proudly in rarefied territory as a true supercar. The catch, though, is that at a touch under $210,000, plus the usual costs, it's also often $100,000 cheaper than anything that truly matches it. It achieves the rare balance between everyday driving, as I unfortunately found out in heavy Brisbane peak hour traffic, and true track performance. It's actually quite stunning how good it is.
0: Overdrive If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au.
1: At this year's 2019 uh, Shannon's Classic, where they had over 1,900 cars from car clubs all over Australia, the winner of the Concourse d'Elegance was David Burthon with his beautifully restored 1913 Rolls-Royce. We've had David on the program a number of times. David joins us. David, you must be very happy to have won that award.
0: Very much so, David. It was a real surprise, actually. I mean, there was some fairly stiff competition there. I must admit, there are probably 50 cars there that would would certainly, uh, I thought, have beaten me. But anyway, um, on the day, uh, everyone felt that my car was the best car there, so it was a thrill. Here's my word. Yeah, there were some lovely old
1: cars, an old Alvis, and uh, I think there was a Packard, a very beautiful old Packard as well. Now, your car, does that have a little bit of a racing heritage?
0: Well, it, it, look, it's one of uh, 22 cars that were built by Henry Royce. What happened, a private customer of Rolls Royce, James Radley, he was quite an unusual bloke. He, he was a pilot and uh, had his own aerodrome, very wealthy family. He entered the Austrian Alpine Trial in 1912, and uh, under the rules of the Austrian Alpine Trial, if you got stuck on any of the Austrian passes, you were disqualified. And what happened, he got onto the Katchberg Pass very steep gradient, and uh, the car failed to proceed uh, just through gearing. Uh, no other reason it was just didn't have the right gearing. So Rolls-Royce decided for the 1913 event they'd build some special cars. They also had the Spanish Grand Prix coming up, and uh, the Marquis de Salamanca, who was the agent for Rolls-Royce in Spain, he needed a little bit of assistance too. Rolls-Royce also wanted to establish a new depot in Vienna, so they wanted to win the Austrian Alpine Trial to give the the brand uh, a real fillip. So they built a four-speed model, and they only built 22 of them, with a slightly bigger radiator, higher compression, slightly larger wheels. And uh, they came first, second, and third in the Austrian Alpine Trial, and they came first and third in the Spanish Grand Prix, which is the only time Rolls-Royce has ever entered a Grand Prix. In fact, it wasn't a circuit race. It was up through the mountains uh, between Portugal and Spain, over 300 kilometres, and uh, they came first and third, as I said. So uh, this is one of the six remaining of the 22 cars that were built, high-performance cars. They failed
1: to proceed in 1912. Uh, I'm I'm so glad that you are holding to the tradition of Rolls-Royce. It was a time of great adventure, wasn't it? It was where you were really close to the mechanics of a car.
0: Oh, my word. I mean, uh, you know, James Radley was an incredible guy. I mean, he used to take bets. I think in, 19, in 1913, the day before the event, before they left uh, Vienna, someone uh, suggested he you know, could drive to Monte Carlo and back. And uh, uh, he took up the bet and he left at night time and drive by himself through the night sort of... Uh, uh, there and back, and got back in time to start the rally, which was quite an arduous event anyway. But I mean, he was a—he was quite an adventurous sort of guy, and uh, like like Charles Rolls, he was into the learning, um, and he actually had his own motor body works called Port Home Motor Body Works. So very interesting guys, all those guys at that time. Now you've restored it. What did you have at the beginning? Well, I bought the car off of a Melbourne doctor in two thousand and one. He had two cars for sale, a 1912 three-speed London to Edinburgh and the 1913 four-speed London to Edinburgh. The four-speed models they called, they gave an extra word to, the London to Edinburgh Continental. And so because it was a slightly rarer car, I took the 1913 model and I had a, 19, a very nice 1924 Rolls Royce Silver Ghost Hooper Launderlay and I traded that in to get this rather rare London to Edinburgh Continentals. That was two thousand and one and then I decided to do a full restoration. To me the car was extremely rare and a number of people overseas had tried to get it but they didn't offer as much as I did, fortunately, and so I secured I decided to do a long restoration and it took fifteen years. I didn't expect I didn't expect it to take fifteen, I thought maybe ten. But unfortunately a rather expensive exercise and So I had to do it within my budget.
1: And you're still married to your lovely wife. (laughs)
0: Yeah, exactly. I've had old cars all of my life. I've restored restored a 1903 Maxim, which was the only one in the world. That uh, was a major job. And I took that to the London to Brighton rally in 1996 and 97. And before that, I restored a 1910 SCAT, or SCAT, Societa, Serrano, Automobili, Torino, a rather rare Italian car, and I took that with my children to the 1980 Colton Jubilee Rally of the Veteran Car Club from Edinburgh to London, 10-day event. I've, I have had a bit of a history in restoring cars, veteran cars, over a long period. She knew what she was getting. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, it's a fascinating world. We've met some very interesting people. Uh, along the way and I've been on some wonderful events around the world, met some interesting people and it's opened a lot of doors for me in terms of you know the old car world.
1: This was the first instalment from a great interview we had with David Berthon. Periodically we will hear more of his exploits in restoring and operating his 1913 Rolls-Royce Including the proper way to crank and start the car, how to tell if your chauffeur has been speeding, and if you think that a modern car is clever by telling you the gradient you are on, you are over 100 years out of date. Overdrive. Answering your questions across Australia.
3: Like most luxury car brands, Jaguar sales are
1: now absolutely dominated by SUVs. David Brown has been driving their smaller SUV. It's called the E-Pace. Nearly 70% of Jaguar sales in Australia are from their F-Pace and E-Pace SUVs. Currently, Jaguar is offering their small E-Pace from around $48,000. I drove the petrol 250 SE at just over $68,000. To all prices add on-road costs, the option list can be pricey. It's a bit heavy, but the 183kW was enough for good performance, helped by a 9-speed automatic gearbox. All models are all-wheel drive. The interior is comfortable, but with understated looks. Its smallness is felt by the rear passengers. You pay for the name, but not as much as you might have expected. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion, or comment, Send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. At the Shannon's Classic, they were celebrating a number of significant anniversaries. It was 60 years since the release of the Triumph Herald, and it was 50 years since the release of the Nissan 240Z sports car. Oh, what a difference a decade can make. And a person who's just been to certain anniversaries for the Z cars is our good friend Rob Fraser. Rob, you went to this anniversary. It must have been one of great pride for Nissan.
4: Very much so, very much so. And so much that they actually had the person who they call Mr GTR, the guy who designed and is responsible for the design of the Z cars, plus also the GTR. He came out from Japan for this particular launch, and uh, it was like he was a very, very proud father. Yeah, we'll
1: talk about the GTR next week, but let's talk about the Z cars. He must be quite old now.
4: He started working for Nissan in 1984, so he he certainly holds his age well and wasn't very forthcoming in telling us how old he was, but he's been around a while. (laughs) So let's go way back to
1: 1969. The 240 Z came out it was meant to reflect some other sports cars was it meant to re- to be the japanese equivalent
4: of the e-type look i i, I think so or i mean it also was re- was reflected later on in the 924 porsche but it certainly had that classic elegant design didn't it it was very simple the proportions were beautiful and it just it just had something special about it are they going to continue with the z's well, the, that question was asked to the designer, and we got the classic no comment. But he did sort of make mention of the fact that you know they they've always had very long design sort of lag times, and the models have run with with modifications rather than well, more um, evolution rather than revolution. But there was nothing in his mind or nothing in his that he gave away indicated they wouldn't be continuing. But he gave nothing away at all <laughs> nothing to indicate they might well they definitely would
1: it's interesting the long evolution that can work for you do you think it's been a
4: hero car for them i think it has over the years i think it lost a little bit of its gloss a few years ago and that was reflected in the fact that there was a, a quite a substantial price drop mm. in the vehicle and it's funny when you're driving it there's a mixture of that old school sort of pleasure in certainly driving it and and it still retains its affordability now for you know for less than $60,000 you can have a two-door sports car that's probably the equivalent of many things co- you know costing another $20,000 more but it is showing its age a little bit inside in terms of you know some of the layout and some of the technology and some of the user interface but, you know, it still does provide that old school type, type feeling, which you know many people still like. I really enjoyed driving around it. It was a lot of fun. I think that's exactly the case, isn't it? That you're not just swamped by modern
1: technology, that you still have some character feel to it. Rob, next week we'll talk about the, uh, the one that became the real hero car for it, the GTR, which I think you've also covered that. I think perhaps you might uh, happily discuss that one as well. I look forward to that one too. Rob Fraser, whom we know well and does the website ozromer.com.au which talks about four-wheel driving and travelling around but he is also a man, the passion for cars including, of course, the wonderful sports cars such as the Nissan Z vehicles.
2: Overdrive.
0: For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au.
1: And it's time to talk some of the more unusual stories in this wonderful world of motoring and transport. Brian Smith is on the line. Good day, Brian. Good day, David. Now, Brian, we've talked in the past about highlighting potholes. There was a story, was it out of Scotland or or Wales where a person drew a phallic symbol in chalk? Yes. Over the potholes and no with more no more permanently with paint, and so that gave another reason why council should come and fix it.
3: And particularly fix it quickly.
1: Yes. Now a man in Waldo (laughs) Where's Waldo? Oh sorry. That's thought of an unusual way to draw attention to his pothole. He held a birthday party. It had been there for three months. It was a bloke um, who said that this was his way of highlighting the idea that there was a problem. Frank uh, Serino was his uh, name. Now, Brian, do you think that might be a nice thing? He had a cake. He had candles. Do you think that's going to work?
3: Look, look... (sighs) it's a bit sad that you have to get to that state to to kind of draw the authorities' attention to the problem that, you know, um, the the city in this case in uh, Kansas city was saying, look, uh, you know, it took us a while to get to it, that they have, uh, you know, extreme winters and summers and, and, you know, water freezes and cracks expand. And so they end up with a lot of potholes and a lot of road repairs in spring. So, um, you know, the, the, the work crews say they were out there working through a backlog of repairs, but certainly he's managed to get himself closer to the front of the the queue of the queue without doing something offensive. And I think it's kind of uh, you know, look, you know, the viral thing of, of uh, the only reason we're talking about this is mm. is that it's gone viral in a sense that people are talking about it outside his his home. Um, but yeah, it's a bit a sad thing that we have to do things like this to uh, to get it fixed.
1: Do you think he's getting a little bit too close to the pothole? I quote him here. He said, "I'm going to have a celebration for pothole." It's as though he's given it a name. He's named it. Hmm. I've got some cake, lit a candle, and had a little birthday party for pothole. He seemed thrilled with the idea. <laughs> It's just starting to get weird.
3: Yeah. He must be Australian though, David, because he wasn't very imaginative, was he, about naming it? You know, we, we have the Snowy Mountains, named the Snowy Mountains, and the Blue Mountains, named the Blue Mountains. Oh, right. Um, and the Great Australian Bite named the Great Australian Bite. So he's possibly Australian in that he couldn't think of a better name for, for pothole. Um, we could probably think of a few, David, uh, better ha- name for potholes. Oh, okay. Then you know, like, like sort of uh the great canyon yeah crack of doom who knows Cra-
1: oh yes okay yes
3: Give me much more dramatic about it but look yes you're right i think he's over three months he's become a little attached he said among other things
1: i didn't sing to him him being the bottle it was too hot out mm.
3: do you think it could be a bit of stockholm syndrome as well oh okay and that you begin to, you know, you're, you're held... Love the people that have... Yes. You're held hostage by the pothole. It, you know, clearly it's, it's outside his house and causing him some problems. Um, and he's, he's become now, um, I guess, enamoured of it or yeah. connected to it. And the next step, David, is, you know, the sort of Munchhausen's by proxy where possibly he starts beginning to, to create potholes because he likes the attention. Ah, right. You know, this, this could actually backfire.
1: He might start digging a pothole in front of your house and then creating a community who meet together.
3: Ah, yes, a support group. Uh, Who
1: was it (laughs) that the the, um, Stockholm Symptome, Paddy Hurst?
3: Yes, the the Red Brigades or something, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, she got uh, kidnapped and eventually ended up, you know, having a great affinity for the people. Brian, lovely to talk to you. Let's catch up again next week.
3: As always, David, a pleasure.
1: And that's Brian Smith, and here on Overdrive, we are talking some quirky news. And this has been Overdrive. I would like to thank David Campbell, Brian Smith, Rob Fraser, David Berthon and Paul Just for their passionate support of this program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au and previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify, or you could look up our Facebook page, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.